Chapter 1 O'Hare International Airport held no allure for Dean Grant. He'd had to sit in bars and lounges and cafes too often and too long at airports all over the country to find any fascination with planes and the people who moved them. He had had to wait too often for his bags, and he had sat in too damned many holding patterns to wish it upon himself again. Holding pattern was a nice way of putting it, a euphemism for incompetence and disorder. Yet it might do for the Chicago City morgue at times, too. Grant's thoughts were never far from his work and his workplace. When he could, he flew out of Midway Airport to avoid the O'Hare crowds, from the cabs, buses, and cars going in, to the hawkers and press stringers that hung on like kutsu. But this time out, he hadn't a chance of getting to Orlando quickly from Midway, and for the past month, since his publication of a medical paper detailing the floater cases, news reporters had been dogging his every step, despite his advice that they read the article in M.E., the magazine for medical examiners who kept up with current practices and news in the field. Since his article's publication, filled as it was with startling evidence of a horrid serial murderer, the drowning deaths, and the possible involvement of killers remaining at large, Dean's phone had not stopped ringing. Boston, L.A., as well as Salt Lake City, San Francisco, and New York were continuing to uncover mysterious deaths that had gone on record as insoluble, and which seemed to fit the modus operandi of one Angel Ray a.k.a. Brother Timothy. Officer Ken Kelso was following up the most promising leads in an effort to uncover a nest of angel rays, sick family members with the same mental aberration, people prepared to turn any helpless victim into a floater in order to float them to the other side in God's name, enjoying their work so immeasurably as to keep scrapbooks and pictures. However, to date, no significant leads had surfaced. Ken was shuttling back and forth from Chicago to Boston and New York a lot lately. Kelso, like Dean, had argued hotly for more manpower, to hire someone to compile and correlate all data that could be assembled on such deaths nationwide. Such things were time-consuming and costly. Dean and his friend Kelso kept after their superiors on this one, determined as two pit bulls. But bureaucratic minds moved even more slowly than bureaucratic wheels. As with everything in the Chicago police and crime divisions, the rule from on top was, ignore it long enough and it will go away. The sad thing was, all that went away were helpless old people and children suckered into a pool of water somewhere and convinced that drowning was the answer to life's problems. The plane was finally online for takeoff, and the sound of the idling engines became a roar. Dean felt the power build in the jet as it seemed held against its will, then suddenly released to speed down the runway. Now it was a charge, the wheels beneath them unheard, whirring and bumpy, until the giant creature in whose belly he rode lifted off the ground. As the plane slowly worked its way out of the pattern and wound around Lake Michigan, Dean felt better, finally on his way. 
Maybe a change of place and a change of people would help his troubled mind. Lately, he feared he was beginning to act and sound like Irwin Cook, an old friend who had worked himself into an early grave over the floater business. Dean's own health was failing over it, along with his relationships with others. Co-workers, friends, his wife Jackie, and most of all, his knuckle-headed superior. In the meantime, Sid Corman, an old friend who'd gone through Korea with Dean, and the Orlando, Florida chief medical examiner, telephoned with a request for Dean to help him out on a case which promised to be more bizarre and puzzling than even the case of the Chicago floaters. Dean had put Sid off for weeks, and in that time another beaten body had been found in Orlando, missing patches of skin and scalp.